Have you ever bought a vehicle that turned out to be, you know, nothing more than a big old nasty lemon? Amen. Preach it, brother. Have you ever sent away for one of those $59.95 cool-looking things that you saw in an infomercial? Can't wait to get it, and you get it, open it up, and it's about $2 worth of plastic junk. Ever been there? I'm sure that if we went around the room, it would be fascinating, some of the stories that we could share with each other, how many of us have been taken in or taken for a ride by some smooth-talking, hair-styled, patent-leather-wearing salesman. And, uh, you know, one of those surefire investments, you know, those can't-lose deals. Uh, we've all been there. I think we've all been burned by some glitzy ad campaign that promises more than it delivers. And we've all stood, we've all stood in line. And, and just, just let me hear you if you have. How many of you have stood in line at a fast food restaurant or a bank only to get up to the teller and they close to go to lunch? <laughs> or what's even worse than that is you're standing in line, you're ready to walk up, and you're still in line, and another teller opens, and the six people who came in just then run over to that window. Or you're standing in line, and the phone rings, and you've been there 30 minutes, the phone rings, they run over and take care of the person who just calls. Have you been there? You know what I'm saying? And you know what? Frankly, some of us end up uttering that world-famous phrase that most of us utter sometime in our life, and that phrase is what? That's not fair. That's not fair. And so we begin to whine about how life is not fair. That's not fair. And yet we can recover from those things rather quickly. Uh, but what really starts to bother us and what's really difficult for most of us um, to endure is the kind of abuse and victimization that you know, gets kind of personal. For example, when someone attacks our reputation or when somebody pulls the economic rug from, out from underneath us. You know, maybe you were fired, for example, for doing the right thing. And you couldn't believe that you could get fired for doing the right thing. You know, that's not fair. I did what was right. I can understand that if I got fired for not doing the right thing, but I was doing the right thing and I got fired for doing the right thing. Or maybe you've been uh, let go or laid off, as they say. And you know, and everybody knows, the reason you got laid off is just because you're getting older, but you could never prove it. And you know that that's not fair, but you know what? There's not much you're going to be able to do about it. You know, or I think of athletes who get cut because, you know, the team's going another direction. That's what they say. We're going, to a, we're going a different direction. Uh, we're going with the youth movement, you know, and, and at that time you're 26 years old. <laughs> and, you know, and you're going with the youth movement. Hey, well, wait a minute, what is that? And then we look at that. Or some of us have been judged because of simply nothing more than the color of our skin or because of our outward appearance of some sort. We've been judged by a coach who says, you can't play because you're too small. Or you can't play because you don't weigh enough, or you weigh too much, or you're not pretty enough, or we were judged because of how we look on the outside. And we all say, you know, that's not fair. That's not right. There's something wrong about that. Or we get upset because our children are playing sports, and maybe a coach makes promises to them or says something to them, and they don't keep those promises, and we feel like they're jacking our kids around, and we don't like that. You know, and we, when we look at and say, you know, that's not fair. That's not right. We've got to be able to do something about that. You know, how do I handle that? What do I do? What do I say? <laughs> Stick your finger in his face. Good. Well, let me jot that one down because I don't think I've ever thought of that one. We'll come back to that because I'm sure that's some godly wisdom right there. That got to come from the book of Second Opinions, chapter 2. Or, or what's worse, the book of Tom. So we, we've all been there. You know, and it's hard enough to deal with the consequences of our own actions 
and it seems almost unbearable to deal with the consequences of actions that we had no control over and we don't think is fair. How many of you can relate to what I'm talking about? You know, for each of us that have uttered, that's not fair, or have been mistreated, I've got some great news for you. You're in great biblical company. You know, I was going through the Bible and I thought, you know what, is there anybody in the Bible that could make the same statement? And I thought, you know, how about King David? How about King David? David's a shepherd boy. He was looked at as being, there's no way that God would choose him because he's too small, he's too slow, he doesn't run the 40 and 4-5, you know, he just, he doesn't have a good vertical leap. I mean, you know, David just didn't meet the, the, the profile of what you would need in a warrior. And so he was overlooked by even his own family, and every one of the sons came marching before the prophet, and uh, they said, well, is this all you got? They said, well, i got one more boy, but he's a little guy, and he's out tending the sheep. Well, bring him in. That's the guy God has chosen. See, God's not like man. He doesn't consider the outward appearance, but he looks at the quality, the character, the heart of that person. So he chooses David. So David goes out, and, and as it says in the, uh, the living version of the Bible, he kicked life's butt. And uh, that's what it says, and I'm just quoting from the living version. Um, so, and he does, and, he, and he, just, he does a job on Goliath. He conquers Goliath, right? And you would think that the nation of Israel would rejoice at all of this. You would think that King Saul would rejoice at this. But the Bible tells us this. In 1 Samuel 18, 7, the people were praising David, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Well, that song didn't go over too well with Saul, who was the king. And because of that and his popularity before the nation of Israel, Saul then went and hunted and haunted David for the next ten years. And you say, why did he do that? Did he do anything wrong? He did everything right. And yet he was criticized, he was attacked, and he was condemned. You go through the Bible, and how about Joseph? You know, Joseph, the multicolor, technicolor dream coat that's, you know, currently running on Broadway. Uh, that Joseph. You know, Joseph didn't ask to be his father's favorite son. Jacob said, hey, he's my favorite son. His brother said, well, great. Then we got to get rid of him. Because Joseph has a dream that one day his brothers will kneel down before him and Joseph somehow will rise up to a position of authority over him and all of a sudden, you know, they were upset about it so they took him out and they threw him in a pit. Then when he was in the pit, they decided, well, there's no sense killing him. We might as well get a couple of bucks out of him. So they sold him into slavery. So Joseph, who did nothing wrong, never asked to be chosen as a favorite, didn't ask to dream that God gave him to have, and probably wasn't real wise in sharing that dream. There was a little immaturity there on his part, saying, hey, I had the greatest dream. Do you want to hear about it? You're all going to be kneeling at my feet. Life's going to be good for me. You know, some things you just don't share with other people until they actually happen. Um, but So they took him, put him in a slate, right? Well, all of a sudden, he goes into slavery. And then, on top of all that, if that's not enough, here he is in Potiphar's house. And he's, he's second in command to Potiphar, and he does the right thing. Potiphar's wife wants to go to bed with him and have sex with him. And, and he says, I can't do that. I can't sin before God and before my boss. I won't do it. She said, fine, then I'm just going to tell everybody that you did, and I'm going to yell rape, so you might as well do it, because you're going to get in trouble anyway, so you might as well do it and keep me quiet. He says, I can't do it. She rips his clothes off. He runs butt naked down the hallway, and she's yelling rape, and he's the, he's the first streaker in the history of the world. And he's running through the halls. And, and he ends up in prison. Now, you know he's sitting in prison going, what in the world happened to me? God, I did the right thing. I don't get it. Why am I in this position? Why was he mistreated? He did what was right. How about Job? 
Oh, hey, some of you know Job. How about Job? Righteous, blameless, upright man before God. Everything's going great. He's praying for his family. He's got a wife. He's got ten kids. He's got a great business. Things are on top of the world. He's got good liquidity. He's got wonderful capital. He's got good cash flow. Doesn't have a whole bunch of receivables because he wasn't in the construction business. Uh, so he was a, you know, he was a farmer. You know, they had some wisdom in that. Although I did meet a guy who had a ranch. He said he made a small fortune in ranching. I asked him how he did it. He said I started with a large fortune. So uh, you know, then maybe that, that's not the way to go. So we won't go down there with that. But, but uh, you know, here's a guy, and all of a sudden, one day, you know, Satan goes to him and says, hey, let's use Job as a guinea pig. Let's run a little lab experiment on the guy. Sure, he loves you. I'd love you, too, if I had everything you gave him. I'd bless you, too. I'd praise you, too. I'd praise you. Oh, yeah, if you gave me everything. And God said, that's not why he does it. He does it because he loves me. I said, good, well, let's test him. Let's take everything away from him. And if you know the story, that's exactly what happened. Now, you know, Job's got to be sitting around going, you know what, I don't get it. I was following the formula the pastor preached, that 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 point sermon, like I give. And, uh, and, and I followed all that, and everything should be just wonderful in my life. And man, here I am, I lost, I lost everything but my wife, and she's the one that keeps nagging me, telling me I should curse God and die. I don't get it. Well, it's, you know, Satan was pretty smart. Leave that one here, leave that one there. Uh, but, you know, and you think about all the people throughout history that have been mistreated for doing the right thing. How about Mary? This young girl God sends an angel to and says, listen, you're going you're gonna to bear the Savior of the world. And for the rest of her life, the crowd called Jesus the son of fornication. You're going to conceive miraculously by the Holy Spirit and you're going to give birth to a child. He's going to be the son and you're going to call him, he's going to be the Savior of the world. And for the rest of her life, she had to live with the label. We know what you really did. We know how you cheated on your fiancé, Joseph. We know how you got pregnant. That boy over there, that Jesus, is a son of fornication. And that's what they called him. And she did what was right before God, and yet she paid a tremendous price because of it. You know, and as we look at all these things, one of the things that, that, that is fascinating to me is that, you know, when we're treated that way, typically I found that uh, we typically react three ways. And see if this isn't true. They're kind of knee-jerk reactions. They're kind of like um, uh, we were. My my daughter and I were driving down the street yesterday, and um, and and I just saw this black kind of a a blur coming at the windshield. You know, an instant, in just an instantaneous moment. You know, you, you duck. You know, there's something coming at the. And she's cracking up, laughing at me because I'm ducking because something hit the windshield, and obviously it hit the windshield and just bounced off. But, you know, it wasn't even anything I thought about. It was just a reaction. I'm so glad I still have those. <laughs> you know, it was kind of nice, you know. Although, you know, it used to be I could see it coming sooner. Now it hit the window. It was up over the back. Then I ducked. So, I don't know. Maybe that's what she was laughing about. But the point is, is that, you know, this thing hit. And, and it's kind of a reaction. And see, typically what happens when we're mistreated or treated unfairly in our minds, however that is, whether it's, you know, legitimate or not, because sometimes we think we're being mistreated and the rest of the world around us thinks we're getting what we deserve. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's some definition that has to go there. But you look at this, and they're kind of reactions, and they're things that you don't even think about, and that's the way it is when we're, when we're mistreated. The first thing that we see is this. It's kind of the aggressive pattern. You know what I'm saying? We blame other people. It's everybody else's fault. You know, I'm being mistreated. I'm not being treated fairly. You know, this isn't my fault, and we get angry about it. In fact, I read a, an article this week in the paper, uh, Mary Decker Slaney. Uh, it says that uh, her husband, this is the quote, he was enraged that confidential information was leaked to the media this week. 
Slaney's husband Richard said someone on the custodial board or someone close to the board is trying to ruin his wife's reputation. This had to do with drug tests that were taken prior to the Olympics. And I want you to listen to this next phrase because it's fascinating usage of this particular term. He says, they're trying, to, they're trying to crucify her, hurt her for something they know is not a positive test, and they've cast a shadow over her that will always be there. It's that knee-jerk reaction that we hear in our society. The first thing that people say when they're mistreated or something's not right, I'll sue you. I'll sue you. You hear kids saying it. I'll, I'll, I'll sue you. You took my apple at lunch. I'll, I'll, I'll sue you. You know, what, what, have we, you know, what have we come to? It's just that knee-jerk reaction. I'll sue you. I'll get even with you. I like the story that I heard about a guy who got bit by a dog, went to the doctor, got tested, and found out that the doctor came in and said, yes, you know what, I'm sorry, but the dog that bit you had rabies, and you have rabies, and the guy sat down, and he started to write out, and, he, and the guy goes, and the doctor said, well, no, you, no, you don't understand. He's thinking that he's writing his will because, you know, he's got rabies, he's going to die. He said, you know, no, you don't understand. You don't have to write that down. You don't have to write a will. You're not going to die. And the guy looked at him and said, a will? I'm not writing a will. I said, well, what are you doing? He said, I'm making a list of people I'm going to go bite. <laughs> you know, it's kind of that, I want to get even with you type thing. That's the first thing. I'll get you. I'm going to get you. The second one is kind of that passive pattern. That's that whiny type of thing. You ever hear people that do that? They just whine all the time, how poorly they're being mistreated and how unfairly things are. And they just whine, whine, whine. And you all just want to say, you want some cheese and crackers to go with that? You know, would you please? That's my favorite line. I love saying it. You, you want some cheese and crackers? That's all. It says whine, 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 whine. And unfortunately, sometimes when we're whining, you know, there's a lot of anger that goes along with that, and there's a lot of aggression that's built up there. And though it's passive at, at that particular moment, we're really thinking of some way, you know, to, to nail those people. I love the story. That's the kind of the life's not fair. Life's not fair. I love the story that I heard about the, some guys in, in Korea during the Korean War. And they had hired a local boy to be their cook and to clean up after them. And uh, they had hired this, this local Korean boy to do all this work. And uh, one of the things that these guys were notorious for is just playing practical jokes on this poor guy. So they would go in the evening and they would put grease on his stove handle so that when he would come up and wake up in the morning to cook him breakfast, they'd turn it and there'd be grease all over and it'd slip and fall. And they'd put the buckets of water above the doors and they'd you know, open the door and the buckets of water would fall. And you know, they just continually found things that you know, would irritate this guy and just be mean to him. They would take his shoes and they would nail them to the ground when he'd go to pick them up to put them on. You know, he'd get knocked over. And finally, these guys started to feel kind of bad about it. And after several months of this mistreatment or treating this man the way that they did, they called him aside and they said, look, you know what, we feel really bad about you. They said, we want to apologize and we know that's not funny anymore. And we're going to tell you right now, we're going to make a commitment, we're not going to do this to you anymore. And so the boy looked at him and said, no more sticky on stove? He said, no, no more sticky on stove. No more water on door? Oh, no more water on door. He said, no more nail shoes to floor? Nope. No more nail shoes to floor. And the little boy smiled and he looked at him and said, Good, no more spit and soup. <laughs> Sometimes we can just kind of be getting our own little even thing going for us. And the last thing is this. How about the holding pattern? Kind of postpone or deny our feelings. You know, we're, we're, we're kind of in denial. And I'm not talking about a river in Egypt. You know, we're in denial. We're not dealing with it. 
it's bothering us. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. You know, we need to, we need to resolve it. We need to somehow or another address the issue. But as we go through this, you will see that each one of these things, how many agree with me, each one of these are very common patterns in dealing with being treated poorly. I think every one of us will look at that and can identify with the fact that, you know what, I can remember being mistreated and that's exactly what I did. That was my knee-jerk reaction and I wish I wouldn't have done that because now I just complicated it even further. While I was being mistreated, I responded in a way that was negative or wrong and now I've made a mess of everything. And so we've got to deal with what I did on top of what the person originally did, that, that, and it's just a mess. And what's interesting to me is that, you know what, if you've got your Bibles, look in 1 Peter chapter 2 as we continue in our study of the book of 1 Peter. But what's fascinating to me is that in this particular passage, we're going to see that, you know what, Peter wants to try to give us some hope beyond unfairness. There's hope beyond unfairness. We've been treated unfairly, but God says, hey, there's some hope here, folks. There's some hope that goes beyond that mistreatment. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting with verse 11, we're going to read where God will try to help us to see that, you know what, while those may be natural reactions, God wants us to live supernaturally. He's going to say this is a supernatural reaction to being mistreated. And we need to take a look at what he has to say because there's a lot that, that, that he has to offer. It says in uh, 1 Peter 2, starting with verse 11, it says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may on account of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God in the day of visitation. It says, Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves for God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience toward God a man bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. It says, For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for it's by his wounds that you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. Interesting passage as it relates to this whole problem of being mistreated. If you recall in our last meeting together, in our last session, we saw in verses 9 and 10, it says that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? So that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you're the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What it's saying here, and if you recall, one of the things that God wants us to be as his people is living, breathing, walking, talking.
talking billboards for Jesus Christ. We are to be a billboard that declares and shouts the excellencies of God who has called us from darkness into light. For, for, for God, who has given those of us who had no mercy, he has shown us mercy. For it's by grace we've been saved through faith and not of ourselves. It's a gift from God. And all that God wants us to do is to advertise this goodness that he has demonstrated to us. And yet while we were sinners, he sent Christ to die for us. We're to advertise the love of God for not only ourselves, but for all of humanity. So we are to be a living, breathing, walking, talking, living example of the love and the grace and the mercy that's found in Jesus Christ to people around us who don't know him. So the question that you have to ask yourself is this. Well, God, how do I do that? You know, how do I do that? How do I fulfill what you're telling me I'm supposed to do, my role here on earth? How do I advertise to people around us how wonderful God's mercy and his grace is? Well, you know what? Peter is now going to tell us as we go through this next section how we can do that and do it in a way that's pleasing to God. And he doesn't say, you know what? When you're mistreated, stick your finger in someone's face. He doesn't say that at all. In fact, he's got a completely different revolutionary approach, and, and, and we need to understand and recognize that because what Tom is saying is right. Most of us, our knee-jerk reaction is that, exactly that. You hurt me, I'll hurt you. You condemn me, I'll condemn you. You criticize me, I'll criticize you. We see that and hear that all the time. And even when we're trying to teach our children certain things, the first thing they want to do is defend themselves or blame others. And yet we see how childish that is, but as adults, sometimes we're no better off than they. God says, hey, this is what's going on, and the first thing you want to do is protect yourself or defend yourself or blame somebody else for why you are the way that you are. And so what he's saying is, hey, look, listen, here's, here's my solution to being mistreated. You ready for this? It's submission. Ooh. Ooh. Two weeks, not next week, but the following week, for all of you that came on the late bus again, um, we aren't having class, but in two weeks we'll get to 1 Peter chapter 3 that deals with hope beyond the wedding day. So you might want to be here for that. But the point that he's making is this, submission. Submission carries with it the idea that we are to place ourselves under the authority of another person. We are to deliberately, listen to this, what he's saying is this. When you're being mistreated by someone who is an authority over you, what God's telling us to do, and this will be an advertising or a billboard for the relationship we have with God, but what he's telling us to do is this, to place yourself under that person's authority. That means to deliberately put yourself under, and it's kind of, I like to look at it as an umbrella. God says, look, there's this huge umbrella, and that's authority. And what I want you to do is take yourself from outside of that umbrella and deliberately walk underneath that umbrella, and I will protect you underneath that. Now some of you are going, but Chuck, you're saying God wants me to get under the umbrella with someone that has B.O. and bad breath. No, that may be. But it's a big umbrella. All right, so there's a lot of room under that umbrella. You got me? Well, you're not going to be you know, scrunched up right next to the person. But what God is saying is this. We will demonstrate our trust for God by saying, God, my reaction here is I want to get even. I want to get back at this person. I want to get in this person's face. I want to point my finger in their chest. I want to tell them off. I want to do these things. But because you say that the reaction I should have is I will deliberately place myself under that person's authority. And I'm going to do it. I don't understand it. And I don't like that person. But I trust you 
and there's a whole bunch of things you've been telling me that don't sound like they make a lot of sense to anybody else in the world, but as I step out in faith and do those things, you've revealed to me how, how wise you really are. So this is just one more area that I'm going to have to figure out some way to trust you and just step underneath here and do it. So what Peter's saying is, hey, you know what, now listen to me. This is coming from a guy who when they were mistreated and when they were mistreating Jesus, the first thing that he did was, I'm not going to stick my finger in your face, I'm going to pull my sword out and I'm going to chop that guy's ear off. So he's gone through a learning curve here himself. He's saying, hey, that was how I used to do stuff. Remember that ear I cut off? Yeah, well, that wasn't the right thing to do. And now he's learning that, uh uh-oh, you know what? There's some wisdom in how God wants us to conduct our lives because the first purpose that we have is we need to let people know around us, hey, guess what? We are different than the rest of the world. We're different than the rest of the world. And he wants us to remember that. He says, beloved or friends... In verse 11, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul, and keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may on account of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of of visitation. So here we go. Let me give you three excellent motives that he gives us for submitting to people who are in authority in our lives. The first excellent motive is this. You know what? Don't ever forget who you are. 1 Peter 11 and 12. Friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. See what he's saying? First of all, he's he's talking to Christians. He's not talking to non-Christians. He's talking to believers. And he's saying, friends, I just want you to remember who you are. We need to constantly remind ourselves who we are and what we're here to do. We're God's children. We are friends of God. Jesus said, if you weren't a friend, I wouldn't have said that. But because you're my friends, I share everything with you. God has called us his friends. For those of us who have come into a relationship with God by believing in Jesus Christ, the Bible says we've been adopted into God's family, that we become a child of God to those who believe in the name of Christ, that we become intimate in our knowledge of who God is, and that we have an intimate family relationship. And he's saying, don't ever forget who you are and where you've come from or where you're going. He's saying that you are a stranger here, you're an alien here, you're a renter here, you're a tenant here, you're not an owner. This isn't our world. This isn't where we're going to end up. What we need to understand and recognize is what the Apostle Paul said. When I'm absent from my body, I'll be present with the Lord. My citizenship is in heaven. I'm just passing through. Now think about it and how much difference it makes if you realize you're just passing through rather than having an owner mentality. We dealt with people all the time in the NFL or in professional baseball or whatever who are renters here because they know they're just passing through. Their whole mindset and mentality is different because they're not buying the big house, they're not putting a whole bunch of money into it, they're not doing all those things because they know tomorrow they may not be here and they'll be moving on somewhere else. So they've got a very temporal mindset that says, you know what, I'm going to do what I need to do while I'm here, but this isn't my home. You you notice how different that is? And what God is saying to us is, friends, don't ever forget, this earth is not our home. This isn't where we dig deep roots. We've got to be up and ready to move at any time. If God wants us to go somewhere, he says go, and you say where, and you just go and you do it. Because a lot of us get trenched in, and when God calls us to do something or move us to a certain place, we say, but I can't because I'm too comfortable here. Abraham, in his great faith, went on to a land that he didn't know existed because God told him, just go, and while you're going, I'll give you instructions, and you just keep walking, and I'll let you know where you're supposed to end up. And he was willing to do that. See, as, a, as an alien or stranger or as a renter, our whole mindset changes. And so now all of a sudden I realize, you know what? My whole purpose in being here 
is to be a walking, talking billboard proclaiming the excellencies of God. I'm an ambassador for Christ. I represent him. My home is really in heaven. I'm just here on temporary assignment. And it changes everything that I look at and, and every person that I see. And it'll change my, my understanding of mistreatment or injustice. And I'll look at it differently. Listen to me. And don't look over there. <laughs> Listen to me. If you have that mindset, it'll change the way you see injustice. It'll change the way that you feel about being unfairly treated. Because now you'll look at it as what? This is an opportunity for me to be used by God to proclaim the excellencies of God and to demonstrate God's mercy and His grace toward me because I'm going to extend that same mercy and grace toward that person who's mistreating me. And they, get, they don't understand it. They don't understand it. Because our first reaction is, I'm going to get even with them. And listen, you don't think that, that that's what it's all about? Look what he says. Live your lives, live such good lives among the pagans or unbelievers that world were to advertise to, that what? Though they may accuse you of wrongdoing, think about this, as a Christian who's taken a stand for Jesus Christ in this world, guess what? It's a dog-eat-dog world, and we're all wearing milk bone underwear. You got it? Get it straight. It's a dog-eat-dog world, and we as Christians are all wearing milk bone underwear. The whole world's like this. See what it says? They're going to accuse you of doing wrong things. The world accuses Christians like Nero did. Nero accused Christians of being the cause of all the problems in Rome. Say, hey, it was Christians who burned down Rome. No, it wasn't. But he used them as a scapegoat, and he went and he burned them, and he torched them, and he murdered them, and he killed them. He accused them of being evildoers. The world around you wants to accuse you as a Christian of being an evildoer, being a hypocrite. You know, look how you reacted when you weren't, didn't get your way. See, you're no different than everybody else. The world wants to accuse you of all those things. Why? Because they're looking for some way and some excuse to use you so they can reject Jesus Christ. That's all they're doing. Don't you understand that by now? They don't want to have to deal with it. They're wrestling with the Jack Nicholson syndrome. They want the truth, but they can't handle the truth. What is the truth? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes unto the Father but through me. What's the truth? Who's the truth? Jesus is the truth. Say, well, I believe in God. Jesus said, you know what? You can't believe in God and not believe in me. Say, because if you've seen me, you've seen the Father because I and the Father am one. And the whole world says, but I got my own program how I'm getting to God. And God says, there's only one way. See, what they're trying to do is justify why they are the way they are and they want to use you and me as an excuse. So they can reject Jesus Christ. And frankly, you know what? Some of us have given a whole lot of ammunition. And what we need to recognize and understand is this. I like this because you know what he says? You're going to have people who slander you because you're a Christian. I've had people who hate my guts that have never had a conversation with me and they don't even know anything about me. But they've heard from other people. I know that. You know that. And some of them just don't like me because... I'm not that likable. <laughs> so, you know, that's another thing you've got to deal with, you know. But the reality of it is, is that they have heard, without ever having a conversation with me, and they have come to a conclusion without ever checking into the facts. Why? Because they don't want to know who I am. They don't want to know who I represent. They don't want to know that I'm a living, breathing, walking, talking advertisement for Jesus Christ and the mercy of God. They don't want to get down. They don't want to go there, as they say. Don't go there. 
don't bring it up because if you bring it up, I'll guarantee you he'll go there. And if he goes there, you're going to have to talk to him about it. And if you have to talk to him about it, you know what may happen? Like the Apostle Paul said, was told by King Agrippa, and he said, Paul, you keep telling me about Jesus, pretty soon I'm going to become a Christian. Oh, God forbid that. You know, it's like there's worse things in the world than that. I know people would rather have their kids out in the street getting drunk and doing drugs and stuff than bring, bring them to a Bible study or have them come to a chapel or have them come to, you know, to church. It's like because they're, they're so afraid. Afraid of what? The mercy of God? The goodness of God? I like what they say. You know what? I don't care what people say about me because I'm going to live in such a way that no one can believe what's being said. You follow that? I don't care what people say because I'm going to live in such a way, though they accuse me of being an evildoer or doing wrong things, I'm going to live in such a way that, you know what? They're not going to believe what's being said. And look what happens as a result. And glorify God on the day when he visits them. Uh-oh. Check this out. Follow this. This is so awesome. I'm sitting here thinking of this. you got some people who are ripping you apart, that are treating you poorly, that are evildoers, that are, that are mistreating you for all the reasons that we said. And you know what happens? When you love them, when you love them instead of hating them, when you love them instead of criticizing them, when you do good things, overcome evil by what? Doing good. When you do good things for them, they don't have any way to respond. And you know what they're going to say one day? When they come to know Jesus Christ and the love of God, and they give their life to Him, and they experience the mercy and the forgiveness of God and the love of God, you know what they're going to say? They're going to praise God that, you know what? That you weren't like everybody else who they mistreated. That you were different. That you loved them. That you forgave them that you did good things for them. And you know what? And it's that reaction that'll draw them to Jesus Christ. And one day, they're going to praise God because of how you reacted to injustice. Is that unbelievable? That is so cool. You know, it's like one of these things where you, you, know, you learn and you pick it up and you go, man, you know what? It changes the whole way I'm thinking. It's going to change the whole way I respond to different situations that come up in my life. It'll change the way you respond to a teacher who treats you un unjustly. It'll, it'll change the way you respond to a boss who treats you unjustly. It'll change the way that you respond to a spouse who treats you unjustly or mistreats you. It'll change the way that you respond to a coach or, or, or to you know, anyone around you that mistreats you. If you start looking at it and say, you keep dumping on me and I'll keep loving you back, they don't know what to do. They want you to get in a fight with them. They want you to argue with them. They want to have an excuse not to be around you anymore. They want you out of their life because they want to live in darkness. And the light shines upon their deeds and it exposes them for who they really are. Here's, a good, here's another reason that we should... Oh, let me, let me read this. I got some great stuff here I write down, you know, and, and, uh, and I get kind of caught up and start going, you know, different places. But... Um, let me read this because this is good stuff. The summer of 1805, a number of Indian chiefs and warriors met in a council at Buffalo Creek, New York to hear a presentation of a Christian message by a Mr. Graham of the Boston Missionary Society. It says, after the sermon, a response was given by Red Jacket, one of the leading chiefs, and among other things, the chief said this, Brother, you say that there is but one way to worship and serve the Great Spirit. If there is but one religion, why do you white people differ so much about it? Why not all agree, as you can all read from the same book? It says, Brother, we are told that you have been preaching to the white people in this place. These people are our neighbors. We are acquainted with them. We will wait a little while and see what effect your preaching has upon them. 
If we find it does them good, it makes them honest and less disposed, disposed to, to uh, cheat Indians, we will then consider again what you've had to say. Isn't that cool? Hey, we'll just wait and see. If it changes their lives, then we'll be interested in hearing some more. But until then, words are words. We need to be people who speak with our words, but allow also our deeds to speak loudly as well. The second thing is this. Not only for our sake do we submit, but for the Lord's sake. Look, it says, submit for the, uh, yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who, who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Oh, just a little side note here. If you're a person in authority, can I just share something with you? One of your responsibilities, whether you're a boss, a manager, whatever you are, a teacher, coach, whatever you may do, one of your responsibilities as a person in authority is to commend those who do right. Wouldn't that be a marvelous world to live in if we would recognize the fact that not only are we to condemn those who do wrong and call upon them their wrong actions, but to have people around us who would commend us and our children and their, you know, and their children and people around them that would commend them, hey, you know what, you're doing good. Wouldn't that be nice? We're so used to condemning each other, it would be nice to start to commend one another for doing the things that are right. We need more of that positive reinforcement because what's happening is a lot of kids are out there today who are trying to do the right thing and no one's coming alongside of them saying, hey, you keep doing the right thing. We recognize you're doing the right thing. We recognize how hard it is in this culture to do the right thing and we want to commend you and we want to elevate you and we want to honor you and we want to praise you. Keep on doing the right thing. We need that. We all need that. And that's one of our responsibilities at Foreign Leadership. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. It says, he goes on and says, Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. And then he gives us commands. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. You see what he's saying? For it is God's will. You know, we have people all the time. I struggle with this all the time. They, they, they're always asking, what's God's will? What's God's will? Hey, you know what? You know what God's will is. It's just a matter of whether you want to do it or not. And that's submission. That's obedience. Isn't that true? What's God's will? Hey, let me make this as clear as possible. Here is God's will. That you deliberately put yourself under the umbrella of authority of that person in your life. Whether it's at school, whether it's at work, whether it's at church, whether it's in society. You deliberately take that freedom that God's given you and subject yourself to their authority. The best barometer of our spiritual condition is how we respond to authority. The best barometer of our spiritual condition in the context of what I'm not talking about is how we respond to authority. How you respond when a policeman pulls you over says volumes to your children and people around you of whether you respect the authority of God and the institutions that he's created. How you respond to, and this is tough for me being in the construction industry because you, know, you deal with people, let's face it, there are people in authority who are frankly morons. How they got there, only God knows. But I think God puts them there so that we can deliberately subject ourselves to their authority. And, and, and to test, you know, to see whether or not we're going to be, you know, obedient in every area of life. You know, one of the things that I've got to struggle with all the time is, is uh, this whole issue of building inspectors. Building inspectors. Oh, you want to have a fun week? Just deal with building inspectors all week. You know, oh, is this all that we need to done, sir? Uh, yeah, that's all. And you get that done and they come back with, you know what, here's six more things that we thought about last night when I was laying in bed. Hey, can you do me a favor and just kind of think of them all right now so we can just come back once and do all these? I don't I mean if it's not too, you know. Respect that person, the institution, but sometimes the person is a jerk. There are teachers that are just flat-out jerks. 
There are coaches that are. There are bosses that are. There are managers that are. There are people in churches that are. Hey, you know what? The world is filled with morons and jerks. That's the way it is. But you know what? How we react and respond to them is an indication of where we're at spiritually. That's all. And we need to recognize that. I like that some guy faxed this to me because you know, we, we, we deal with inspectors all the time. He said this, Arguing with an, a, a building inspector is like wrestling with a pig in the mud. He says, After a while, you realize the pig enjoys it. <laughs> okay. That's all it took. There are just some people who just like it, you know? And we need to recognize what he's saying. For it's God's will. It's God's will. This is the will of God that you subject yourself or submit to not only God's authority, but the institutions of authority that he has established and he has created. How we react and respond will indicate our spiritual condition and where we are as far as our growth is concerned. How your children respond to you as parents, how they respond to their teachers, how they respond to their coaches, how we respond at work to our bosses and other authority, how we respond in churches to authority structures that are established there. Hey, it goes all the way along the line. You know what? You can't exercise authority until you put yourself under authority. That's just the way it is. And the last thing is this, and we'll close on this. We need not only to do it for the sake of people around us who need to know the Lord, not, not only for the sake of the Lord himself, but we're to do it for our own sake. It says, submit, slave, submit yourself, or employees, submit yourself to, the, to your master's will to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. You follow that? For it's commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. You say, why should I do that? Because you are aware of God, and you are that God is fair. You are aware that God has called you. This is his will, that you're a servant of his, and you will subject yourself to even unharsh treatment. Now, I'm not saying put yourself in a position where somebody's going to physically abuse you, whatever. If you can't submit to the authority in the place that you work, then go find another job. If you can't submit to a coach, then quit that sport. If you can't submit to that teacher because you have lack of respect, then transfer to another class. But somewhere along the line, you're going to need to deal with the fact you need to submit to authority. And if you don't like your parents, tough! Ah! I don't know what the option is there. But we deal with it as children get older, don't we? Anybody here that has an older child knows exactly what you're dealing with. These are the rules of our household. If you can't submit to those rules, then go out and get your own apartment and pay for it yourself. Hallelujah. Preach it, brother. See, now I woke somebody up in the back. And, and by the way, thank you for giving me that note before I started here today, so your children would hear that. Um, hey, you got the husband-wife thing coming up in two weeks, so hey, send your faxes to... No, just kidding. But the point of the matter is that that's just the way it is. And it's, for the, it's because you're aware of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong? You follow that? Hey, some of us, we just experience harsh treatment because we deserve it. And that's what he's saying. There were slaves who were beaten because they deserved to be beaten. And there are others who submit themselves to authority that frankly wasn't that kind, wasn't that good, wasn't that generous. But God's saying, hey, submit to them because don't lose sight of who you are. You're a walking, talking, living, breathing billboard for the love and the mercy and the goodness of God. And if you love that person, you will overcome their evil with good. And one day they're going to give their life to God because of you, and they're going to praise God because you didn't react the way that other people around them reacted. There was something different about you. We need to recognize that. Now, some of you are saying, you know what, though? But you don't understand. You little whiners. 
You don't understand. You don't know what I'm going through. You've never been there. You've never had this happen to you. Okay, here's your answer right here. But if you suffer from your own, to this you were called because what? Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. And he committed no sin. Can you make that same claim? He was perfect. He committed no sin. He did nothing wrong, and he was mistreated. Oh, you know what's so wonderful and liberating about the Word of God? It's so true, isn't it? You hear all this nonsense out in the world today about how God wants to just bless us, and if you give your life to the Lord, your life's going to be rosy and wonderful, and it's going to be blessed, and you're going to get the job you want, and all the money that you want, and the car you've always wanted, and he'll praise the Lord, you know, and that's what's going to happen to you. Hey, let me tell you something. You know what? I've learned here today that it is in the will of God for you to do right and sometimes suffer, as a matter of fact, because of it. Well, how do they come up with an answer to that? And how do they answer this? Was Jesus perfect? Yes. Did he deserve to be mistreated? No. Did God allow it to happen? Yes. Why? Because it was the will of God. And it was part of the plan of God. And I don't understand it sometimes, but I can read it. And I don't know about you, but you can't miss it. So listen to me, you little whiner. <laughs> you being mistreated, and you say no one can relate? Let me tell you something. Jesus can relate. He can relate. He can relate to injustice. He can relate to being mistreated. He didn't do anything wrong. He did everything right, and he tried to save the very people who, who just basically killed him. They beat him. They spit on him. They called him names. They, they tore his clothes off him. They hung him to a tree, and they left him die on a cross the whole time insulting him. And when he was insulted, you know what? He didn't insult back. When he was mistreated, when they hurled their insults at him at the cross, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. He could have kicked their derrieres. little French for you there. You know, going to Ireland and everything, thought I'd throw a little European flavor in there for you. But he could have. He could have called all the angels of heaven to back him up. He didn't need them either. You know what? He could have destroyed them with a word. Even the one thief on the cross who was hanging there said, Are you crazy, man, to the guy on the other side? Don't you even fear God? Are you nuts? With a word, he created the universe. With a word, he could have wiped them all out. He didn't even have to say it. He could just think it. They would have been gone. But he didn't do it. And you're saying, but they're, they're insulting me. So? They're threatening me. And? They're not treating me nice. The point being, don't forget what kind of underwear you're wearing. You know what I mean? That's what it comes down to, doesn't it? He says, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. You know what? We can live the way God wants us to live if we've accepted Jesus Christ's death for our sins. We can have the power through the power of the Holy Spirit of God when we want to insult a person to turn and offer a spiritual sacrifice to God and say, Lord, right now, I want to insult this person. Right now, I want to kick this person's rear end. Right now, I want to stick my finger in this person's chest. Right now, I want to call him every name that I used to think about in the book. And it's not your book, the Bible. It's the other book that some of us still go by. He says, you know what? But I'm a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood. I'm set apart and consecrated for your service, and right now I'm going to offer you this spiritual sacrifice. I'm going to endure this harsh treatment for your glory and for your praise. And you know it's not easy, but I know you'll give me the strength to do it because I want to be pleasing to you. God, I offer that to you today. Folks, are you being mistreated? 
says, For you are like sheep and you've gone astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. Some of us need to return to the shepherd and the overseer of our soul when it comes to how we react to being mistreated in the world around us. We need to come back to him today and say, Lord, I'm sorry that I return insult for insult. I'm sorry that I return anger for anger. But you know what, God? Give me the patience and the strength to be able to overcome evil in this world by doing good. And God, I can't wait to see what it does in the life of the person who's just been hammering me and making my life miserable. I'm going to change my whole attitude and approach this week when I see them again. God, thank you. Father, thank you for this time. We just thank you for your word. It's life-changing. All we need to do is apply it. And we just praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Hey.